The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everyone, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad to have you with me on this day, and um, it's a bit of a ranting day today. We're going to start off the program talking a little bit about President Trump's announcement earlier today that uh, he's going to put off any sort of vote on health care until after the 2020 election. Basically saying, wait until we win in 2020, then I'll show you what I got up my sleeve. I'm not sure anybody's going to be buying that. We'll talk a bit about that on today's program. And secondly, want to stay in Washington for just a little bit because it appears that there are some legislators in Washington that are trying to find ways to make federal law compatible with states that are legalizing both medical and recreational marijuana use. We'll talk a bit about some of those proposals and what they might do on today's program. It has ramifications, of course, for our state as we try to figure out how to deal with all this kind of stuff. So stay with me for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit on this Tuesday. All right. Thanks for being with me today. And, uh, you know, we we touched on this yesterday. If you watched the Monday Follies, you know that we talked a little bit about President Trump and his declaration that the Republicans were now going to be known as the party of health care. And I called BS on that yesterday. I think I called BS on it last week as well. But I now have even more reason to do so. President Trump himself today has given me reason to feel somewhat justified in doing so. He basically announced on Twitter today that he is not going to introduce any sort of health care reform until after the 2020 election. And I'm going to read you a tweet that he put out earlier today because I think it matters. It was a three-part tweet, of course, which means it's quite a few words. So we'll get into this. It says, quote, everybody agrees that Obamacare doesn't work. Premiums and deductibles are far too high. Really bad health care. Even the Dems want to replace it, but with Medicare for all, which would cause 180 million Americans to lose their beloved private health insurance. The Republicans are developing a really great health care plan with far lower premiums and deductibles than Obamacare. In other words, it will be far less expensive and much more usable than Obamacare. The vote will be taken right after the election when Republicans hold the Senate and win back the House. It will be truly great health care that will work to Amer- for America. Also, Republicans will always support pre-existing conditions. The Republican Party will be known as the party of great health care. Meantime, the USA is doing better than ever and is respected again. All right, let's unpack that for just a second here. Why is he doing this? Why is he suggesting that he's not going to give us a plan until after 2020? Well, it's because every single Republican out there cringed when President Trump went back to the health care well just a few days ago. Maybe it was to distract attention away from the Barr memo and the Mueller report. Maybe it was because he thought he had the high ground again on some sort of an issue. I'm not exactly sure why he went back there, especially after Republicans have been so burned on this issue for so long. Republicans becoming the party of health care is going to be a stretch. It's a tall order for them to do it because they have not been able to coalesce around a single plan ever. And this goes back to the earliest days of discussion about government involvement in the health care system. This goes back to the creation of Medicare. Those opposed to government involvement in the health care system don't have a plan to replace it. They never have had a plan to replace it. And when President Trump said Republicans are going to again be the party of health care or be the party of health care, every single elected Republican in Congress cringed. 
because they know they don't have a plan. They don't have a plan that their own caucus can agree on, let alone to get along with the Democrats who are in power in the House of Representatives right now. So Mitch McConnell, in his wisdom, smartly, in my opinion, and and I'm not a huge fan of Mitch McConnell, but Mitch McConnell was smart. He laid this right back on the president and said, we are going to wait to see what the president negotiates with the House of Representatives on this issue. Because he knows that anything he negotiates with the president is not going to pass the House. So if there's going to be some sort of cooperative area, it's going to have to be between the White House and the House of Representatives, who are not in the mood to repeal Obamacare. The House voted 40 times during Republican control to repeal Obamacare. When they had an opportunity to replace, they could not do it. They have never been able to do it because they cannot agree on what that should look like. And while it's really easy to say that you're going to cover pre-existing conditions and you're going to make sure prescription drug prices are lower and everybody's deductibles are going to be lower and their premiums are going to be lower, well, I'm sorry, that's just not easy to do if you're going to keep the same interests involved in the system that are there right now. Private insurers are the ones that are setting the rates in the marketplace. It is not the government setting those rates. They're looking at the landscape of the individual states that they operate in And they're setting their rates accordingly if they decide to enter those markets. And there are a number of things that have factored into whether or not those private health insurers enter into the marketplace underneath the Affordable Care Act. One of them is whether or not that state expanded its Medicaid program. Medicaid, of course, is health insurance for those that fall under a certain income level. And a number of states expanded Medicaid so that more people could participate, get health insurance, and it's led to about 20 million more Americans actually getting coverage. And the states that expanded Medicaid actually have more robust marketplaces. More companies have been willing to come in because the risk is spread around to more people. And that's what the insurers are looking for. They want the largest pool possible so that they can afford to pay for people with pre-existing conditions. But one of the things that they need is for relatively healthy people to be in the marketplace as well, and pay for premiums so that they can offset the cost of treating those more costly patients with pre-existing conditions. That's why the individual mandate was such a huge part of this. If you can't force healthy people into the system, they're not going to enter into the system, especially young people, and therefore the insurance companies are going to have to charge existing customers a lot more to cover the cost of treating those people that are going to cost more. That's the whole idea of insurance. A whole lot of people putting their premiums in to take care of everybody when they need it. So states like Michigan that expanded Medicaid have lower rates, lower deductibles, more choices in their exchange than states that did not. And in fact, a number of insurers just said, if you didn't expand Medicaid, we are not going to offer plans in your state anymore. We actually saw that happen in a number of states that did not expand Medicaid, where insurers just said, we're not in. And therefore, they were down to one or two insurers, and the plans were outrageously expensive. That was done by design by the Republicans who have been trying to undermine this plan since it was started. They sued. Well, there can't be an individual mandate. You can't force people to pay for something. Well, John Roberts actually said that they could in the Supreme Court argument, but then there was another lower court ruling that just came out that basically said, no, that interpretation is not correct. And don't forget, the repeal of the individual mandate was part of the tax bill that was passed by this administration and the last Congress. So they have done everything in their power to undercut the health insurance system that was put in place during the Obama administration. Now, it is not a perfect system. We know that. And frankly, 
Democrats have all along, in many instances, said, well, this is a stepping stone towards more of a universal care system, a Medicare for all type system, something that we see in just about every other industrial nation, some form of socialized medicine, some government intervention in the system to make sure that everybody has coverage and access. And if you look at the Canadian system, for instance, yes, it is a government-run system, but there are also private plans that are available for people to purchase if they want coverage that is above and beyond what the government is going to offer as a basic minimum. But everybody has access to treatment. Everybody has access to care that is not going to cost them. We have a system here in which premiums are out of reach for a ton of people, And there has been one party that has been actively trying to make sure that it becomes even more unaffordable so that they can knock down a law that they don't like. Maybe it's on principle. Maybe it's because they don't like the former administration getting credit for something that is going to fundamentally change the landscape for all time. Because frankly, there have been people that have been trying to tear down Medicare since it was first started, calling it socialist, calling it whatever. The fact is, people who are on Medicare like it. It's not perfect by any stretch. There are things that need to be shored up there, but it is a lot cheaper than being out in the private market as a senior citizen. There's no question about that. So now, what we have seen is that there is no actual plan. President Trump says, we're not going to introduce a plan until after the 2020 election. We're going to win back the House and Senate, and then we'll show you our plan. I say that's not good enough. You opened this can of worms, Mr. President. You told people that you were going to come up with a great plan. Do you really think that people are going to reelect you based on a promise that you're going to come up with something good only after they have voted? It doesn't fly. And I don't think people should trust you on this one. Because your party, the Republican Party, yes, he ran as a Republican. Whether you're a Republican and think he's not, whatever, he is your guy and you're standing behind him. But take a look at what he's proposing right now, what he's suggesting. What he is showing you is that he has nothing to offer. He is bluffing. This is an empty hand. He doesn't even have a pair of deuces. He has no plan. This reminds me a lot of Richard Nixon before the election in 72, suggesting he had a secret plan to get out of Vietnam. He admitted later to David Frost that, well, they'd never really had that plan. This is not something we should accept. If you are going to go whole hog and suggest that you are going to get behind a lawsuit that is going to undermine the health care of tens of millions of people in this country, you best have something to back it up. But you don't. And I don't think anybody in this country should accept that you'll unveil something after an election. No, this is the number one issue for a lot of people. It is the biggest monthly expense a lot of families have. Even if they get uh, their insurance through their workplace. A lot of people don't look every month at their pay stub. But when you do, and you take a look at how much you're ponying up for health insurance for your family, even if it's a copay type of a situation, or you're paying some and your employer's paying some, it is a huge amount of money going towards health insurance every single month for the average family in this country. It's a huge expense. And anything that could be done to make the coverage better and find ways to reduce the cost is something that we should explore. And I think both parties have had some interesting suggestions over the years about ways that we could defray some of those costs. And I encourage them, even if it's an incremental change and not something that's going to fully fix the system, even if it's an incremental change, like finding ways to negotiate for lower drug prices, that's something we should explore. 
but this has been a political football for too long. It has been something people use to score political points and have not been trying to solve for too long, especially on the Republican side, when all they've offered is repeal, but no replace. Democrats say what you want about them. They came up with Obamacare, which was actually based on a Heritage Foundation plan that was first put forth in Massachusetts under Governor Mitt Romney. It's a little bit different, but fundamentally, it is the same plan. And it did increase the number of people with health insurance. It is not perfect. Deductibles are too high. Premiums are too high, and there aren't enough choices in every marketplace. But it is an improvement over what we had before. So you cannot tell me that you've got some great plan and that you're going to be the one that fixes health care and not give us any details as to what's going to be in that plan. Or say that we have to wait until after you're reelected to see this great plan. Put up or shut up, Mr. President. It doesn't work that way. We are not that stupid. We have shown time and time again at the polls that health care is an issue that motivates people to get out there and vote. If you think you've got a plan that's going to win people over, show us what you've got. What are you thinking? How are you going to make this work? You can't just sit there and say it's going to be great health care. Everybody's going to have great health care. I promise. We know what your promises are worth, sir. This is one of those times where you better produce or else it's going to be a long, long couple of years until that next election because you're going to get hammered over this issue. You brought it up. Now it's time for you to actually back it up. I hope you can because this is something that is too important, not just to individuals and their well-being and what's in their pocket every month, but to the overall economy as a whole. The healthcare industry is a massive, massive part of our economy in this country, one that is not thought of often enough. You destabilize something like this, you put families at risk, you put hospitals at risk, you put insurance companies at risk, you put businesses at risk, and your political future is put at risk as well. So you can say that you're going to be the party of health care, you can say that you're going to be the president of health care, you better show us what it is you have in mind, because right now all you've showed us is that you want to tear down the current system. I'm not going to suggest that the current system couldn't be improved. It certainly could. But I'm not going to trust anybody that says, just get rid of this and we'll figure it out later. I do not want to be rebuilding the healthcare system out of the burning ashes of an inferno. I know there's a lot of voters out there that say, we've got to fix the system. We've got to burn it all down. But not when we're talking about people's health and their financial well-being. We cannot mess around with this. And this does not work. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a MAGA hat-wearing lover of Trump. You need to ask more of the president when it comes to this issue. Don't just take his word for it. He needs to prove it. This is the Craig Folley Show on Deadline Detroit. Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, Craig here. Really do appreciate you checking out the show on this Tuesday. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny. I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to talk about on today's program. Uh, but I was watching C-SPAN this morning, and I've taken to watching Washington Journal on C-SPAN quite a bit these days. Uh, and, and I'll explain why. One, 
you know, they take calls, which is always kind of interesting to see from both Republicans, Democrats and independents. They've got the three phone lines, but they also have on a lot of interesting guests every morning talking about the issues of the day, what's happening in Washington. Um, and it's it's without spin. Right. I, I've been flipping through Fox and Friends and, and Morning Joe and CNN's New Morning or whatever that program is that they have on there. And it has been driving me absolutely nuts and to the point where I'm getting angry in the morning. And that's not where I want to be. I like to actually be happy with my cup of coffee in the morning and just get a chance to sort of find out what's in the news, read the papers and get a little bit of, of information from the television as well. And of course, listen to Morning Edition, which I still do every single day. But I've been watching C-SPAN Washington Journal. I like it. Uh, and it's becoming something that I'm going to more and more often. And this morning, I thought it was a really interesting discussion that they had on the program. Uh, Representative Earl Blumenauer, he's a former state legislator in Oregon, now, of course, a member of Congress from Oregon. And they were talking, of course, about marijuana legalization and what the federal government needs to do to make sure that states like Michigan, states like Oregon, Colorado, California, that have already legalized marijuana can actually move forward and allow the commerce part of this to emerge. And I thought this was a really important discussion and some of the ideas that he had that were great and what seems like the sort of breaking of the ice at the federal level on the issue of legalized marijuana was pretty important to me. And now that we've seen a number of states moving forward with this and in pretty significant numbers at the polls, it does seem that Washington politicians, especially from those states where legalization has occurred, have taken it upon themselves to see if they can't figure out a way to smooth some of the log jams. And here's one of the problems that they have here, right? Since the federal government still schedules marijuana as a uh, basically a, a uh, as a high level drug, one that doesn't have any value, similar to heroin, similar to cocaine, things along those lines. The federal government is really limited as to what it can do with this stuff. You can't get as many research grants to find out whether or not there are real medicinal qualities to this kind of stuff. You can't uh, do a lot of research on the impact of this. You can't do a ton of studies on addiction levels. You can't do a ton of studies at all because it's a Class C controlled substance at the federal level. Now, what that also does is freeze out the assets. It freezes people out of the banking markets that are involved in what in their states is now a legal business. And it really is sort of one of these interesting discussions about the difference between states' rights and federal law. Now, during the Obama administration, Eric Holder, the then attorney general, basically said they were going to ramp down on federal enforcement of marijuana crimes in deference to the states that were deciding whether or not to legalize. Now, they still were, of course, frowning upon interstate trafficking, which is one of the concerns that a number of neighboring states have to those that have legalized. But when you take a look at what's going on, you're starting to see pockets of the country that are easing up the rules on this. And it's time that the federal government actually sort of got down to business on this one and figured out a way to make sure that we are not halting or hurting the commerce and the business and the taxation side of this. Nobody wants a situation where a person that owns a dispensary that is selling to a medical caregiver or is selling to a recreational market as soon as those rules are formulated here in Michigan has to go to the bank with bags full of cash because that's the situation right now. The banks, of course, leery of, of money laundering, leery of all sorts of problems because of the federal government's stance on marijuana have been unwilling to work with these organizations and private companies that are springing up around this burgeoning industry. 
So now you've got a situation where all of these transactions are done in cash, which one, makes it hard to track exactly what these businesses are doing, which opens up an opportunity for the black market to once again thrive, thrive more than they already are when it comes to this business. Cash is harder to track. It's harder to gauge whether or not you're collecting the right amount of taxes from these businesses. It's harder to track whether or not these businesses are selling to legal customers. It's harder to track whether or not these dispensaries are selling, if they have a medical license, only to people who are caregivers or facilities that deal with caregivers. So if you cannot control the the, the financial side of this thing and the banks are afraid to actually deal with them, you're basically leaving the door open for bad behavior. Now, I'm not suggesting that bad behavior is going to go away entirely. It's not. There will always be people selling on the side. There will always be people doing things around whatever the state law is. But I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of customers that might pay a little bit more to go into a place that is regulated, that has labels, where you know what the content is of what you're buying. You know that it's pesticide-free, for instance. You know uh, what the THC content might be. You know the strain, where it was grown. You know the potency of the edibles that you might be buying or the tincture oils or any of that kind of stuff. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to want that sort of assurance and are going to want to go into a licensed dispensary. And frankly, they're going to want to be able to just use their bank card to do this. Right now, they can't. That's something that needs to change. That's something that's going to require the federal government to knock off the classy scheduling of this drug. And if they can do that and open up the banking thing, that is going to open up the possibilities and frankly, give us a much better picture as to what the real legal business is here and how much tax revenue we should be taking in. Get cash out of the system, allow these people to bank like normal businesses, and I think we'll see a much clearer picture and a lot more transparency around this industry, which is a big deal. Now, the second thing that the federal government needs to do is, again, loosen the reins on what research can be done, what kind of studies can be done around marijuana, especially from a medicinal standpoint. There have been a number of studies, obviously, but number of universities and research institutions don't necessarily want to take it on because, again, of the federal government scheduling this as a Class C, suggesting it has no purpose other than for recreational use, getting high, basically, which we now know is untrue. There needs to be further research as to what is the most effective way, what's the right dosage. Uh, are there ways to do this where you can take the THC uh, out of this equation and get the medicinal benefits of this plant without getting the high that goes along with it? That might be something that somebody would like to do, but it's going to require the federal government loosening their grip and allowing people to do that type of research. Because I know a lot of people that would like any kind of an option that they could use to dull their pain without feeling that buzz. Not everybody wants that. A lot of people don't. It would be nice if we could come up with something and we could find ways to further the research on that and not run that research type of stuff underground as well. Now, what I'm encouraged by, again, when listening to this representative this morning on C-SPAN, uh, was him suggesting that he is working on a bipartisan group of legislators who are exploring this stuff. Now, whether or not it's going to get taken up in the, in the U.S. Senate remains to be seen, but the House is making some progress on this. And it looks like, it looks like they're getting the attention of not just the blue states here, some of the red states as well that are looking at this because their populations are not divided red and blue on this issue. If you look at, at the numbers of people that voted in favor of this in a number of states, it grows across party lines. This is a bipartisan issue. People are asking for legalization or at least a loosening on the restrictions when it comes to medical marijuana 
and in some states, recreational marijuana, like Michigan, obviously. Other states are going to follow suit. Public's mind on this issue has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. And while some might suggest that it's not going to generate the revenue that its supporters suggest, I would probably agree with that. It's never going to fix the damn roads here in Michigan, for instance. But it certainly is nice to have additional revenue coming in because we could use it. And this is something that is, you know, by choice for people, especially on the recreational side. You don't want to pay the tax? Don't buy it. But that's why we have so-called syntaxes, cigarettes and booze. They put tax on that kind of stuff because they know people are going to pay. And that's something that nobody seems to mind doing as long as they get what they're looking for. So to finally see some movement in Congress on this, that might actually open the people's eyes to the things that still need to fix. Because, yes, you can legalize it in the state, but until the federal government at least at least eases up just a bit, we're not going to see the full benefits of these moves in this state or in any other state that's legalized for that matter. The increased research and the increased transparency that comes along with actual financial transactions and actual financial tracking, I think those are features that everybody could benefit from. Those are things that we need to see. If we're going to have legalization, we should might as well have transparency and research that goes along with it. And hopefully, hopefully, the states where the legalization has already taken place will sort of lead the way on this. And maybe we can drag the rest of Congress along. This has been the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Hope you enjoyed it on this Tuesday. We'll talk again tomorrow. And uh, don't forget, we've got all sorts of cool stuff coming up on Mondays. We're doing the Monday Follies these days. And I've got some other neat features I'm working on as well that I will introduce in the coming weeks. But I do appreciate you being here. Don't forget, you can find us online on Facebook, on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, on Snapchat, any way that you'd like to reach out. And you can always send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Don't forget, if you'd like to advertise on this program, we're getting thousands of people checking out what we do every week, which is good. Love seeing that. We need more. Share it. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. Let them know that we're out here every day doing this. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.